friends. I want to say welcome to Vernonia Church and our online teaching time. My name is Sam. I'm the pastor here at Vernonia Church, and I'm so uh, thrilled to have the chance to share with you as we are going through this series called The Overflowing Life. In just a few moments, I'm going to share with you a teaching about an overflowing contentment, and it's going to be a great day. I, I want to begin by praying with you and praying for you today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you will help us to learn to be content. God, I pray that you will encourage us today, challenge us today, that you will speak right to our hearts today and into our lives today so that we can have this overflowing life that you want to give us so that we can learn to be content with what you have given with the cup that you filled up to overflowing the cup of our life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Well, let's dive into this teaching. I want to share with you a teaching about an overflowing contentment because the overflowing life takes having an overflowing contentment. You know, King David, he said this in Psalm 23, God, you honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. And Jesus talked about the overflowing life, and he said that he wants to give us life to the full. Uh, In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says this, I came that they may have have and enjoy life. And when he said they, he's talking about you and me, those of us who follow him. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. God wants us to experience an overflowing life. Jesus came to earth. Jesus died on a cross. Jesus rose from the dead, and he did all of it so that he could give us this overflowing life, a, a life that that uh, has a full cup and, and a cup that's overflowing. And in this series, we've been talking about what it takes to experience this overflowing life that he wants to give us. We began in this series by talking about an overflowing connection with Jesus. And that's how this overflowing life starts, by having an overflowing connection to him, knowing he's with us, knowing he wants to bless us, knowing that he's there, connecting with him every day, getting into his word every day, spending time with him every day. Having this overflowing connection is where it starts. And last week, we talked about having an overflowing gratitude, uh, being grateful to God and grateful to others, and, and having this overflowing life takes overflowing with gratitude and replacing things like grumbling and complaining with gratitude and thankfulness and and gladness. Well, in this morning, we're going to talk about how having this overflowing life takes a overflowing contentment. And let me ask you a question before we go any farther. Are you content? Are you in a place right now where you're content? You're content with the life you have. You're content with who God made you to be. You're content with the situation you're in in life. You're content with your family. You're you're content with what you have. You're, You're content with your paycheck. You're content with your job. You're content with your boss. You're content with your family, with your kids. You're you're content with your looks. You're you're content. Are are you content? Are you really? content? And I'm guessing if you're like me, there are, have been times in your life where you weren't content. There, there's been times in your life where you struggled with being content. Maybe you're in a place right now where you're not content, you're struggling with contentment, and you don't know how you could ever be content. Well, you may have heard the old story about the man who was in a hot air balloon. There was a man in a hot air balloon. He realized he was lost. He he reduced his altitude, and he saw there was a woman standing down below, and he descended a little bit more, and he asked this lady, he said, Excuse me, ma'am, uh, can you please help me? I promised a friend I would meet him an hour ago, but I don't know where I am. And the woman below said, well, you're in a hot air balloon hovering approximately 30 feet off the ground. You're between 40 and 41 degrees north latitude and between 59 and 60 degrees uh, west longitude. 
Oh, you must be an engineer, the balloonist said. Well, I am, replied the woman. How did you know? Well, the balloonist said, everything you told me is technically correct, but I have no idea to make a, a, about what to make of that information, and the fact is I'm still lost, and frankly, you haven't really been much help at all. If anything, you've delayed my trip. The woman below responded, well, you must be in management. Well, I am, said the man in the balloon. How did you know? Well, the woman said, uh, you don't know where you are or where you go, you're going, and you've risen to where you are by a large quantity of hot air, and you made promises which you have no idea how you're going to keep, and you expect people beneath you to solve your problems. And fact is, you're in exactly the same situation we were before we met, but somehow it's my fault. <laughs> well, uh, you may not know how to get there, and, and, uh, and today our goal is to figure out how to get where we need to go, to a place called contentment, a place where we can be overflowing with contentment. Maybe so much so that even if we're lost, we can enjoy the balloon ride and be content with our situation, where we stop comparing ourselves to others along the way, whether we're engineers or management or whatever we are. Now, there is, I'm going to make a, a slight uh, a, a slight disclaimer as we go through today's teaching or before we get into it too deeply. I think there is a time and a place to have what I'm going to call a holy discontentment. There are places in our life where we should never grow content, where we should never let contentment turn into complacency. For example, I should always have a desire to increase my faith. I should always have a desire to see more people come to know Christ. I'll, I'll never be content with the size of our church. I'll never be content with uh, how many people we baptize. I'll never be content with that because we should always be in a, in a state of trying to grow in faith and reach more people. I, I should never be content with my folly and content with my sin, I, I should let my holy discontentment with folly and sin lead me to repent, lead me to a place where I turn to God's grace, lead me to a place where I try to learn God's wisdom. And so there's a, a sense of holy discontent that I should, I should have when it comes to my spiritual life. Without that, I'll stop striving. Without that, it can lead to a spiritual laziness, a, a stagnation, a lack of growth. It can lead me to a place of mediocrity, and, and I don't want to go to those places in my life. Uh, those things are things I should never be content with. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about today being content with the things that God wants me to learn to be content with. And the problem happens where often we get content with the things we should have a holy discontent with, and we get discontented with the things that we should be content with. Uh, we we strive and work and, and we run ourselves ragged for the things of this earth and this world, and we get content and mediocre and spiritually lazy with the things that God wants to bless us with and God wants us to grow in. Well, let's talk today about those things that God wants us to be content with. Uh, let's talk today about how to have an overflowing life filled and overflowing with contentment. Uh, well, let's talk about being content with the life you have. Let's talk about being content with the cards you've been dealt. Let's talk about being content with what God has given you. Uh, to be content with the blessings God has already showered on you. To be content with your life right now. Content with your family. Content with your spouse. Content with your job. Content with your paycheck. Let's learn contentment. Uh, 
Early on, we said that your life is a cup and God wants to fill it up to overflowing. And part of the overflowing life is learning to be content with the way God fills your cup. God made you. He made me. He made all of us one of a kind. He made us unique. He made you uniquely you. And and, and he came up with unique blessings to fill your cup up with. He, He wants to fill you up into overflowing in a unique way. He will give you unique things to be grateful for. God created you to be you. He created you to be only you. He created you with a unique love. He created you with unique talents, unique abilities, unique ways of seeing things. He created you uh, not to be someone else. He didn't create you to be something other than you, to be someone other than you. He created you. He created you for this moment. He created you for this season of life. He created you and he cares for you and he wants to be with you in an overflowing relationship in an overflowing way. He wants you to experience an overflowing gratitude, an overflowing contentment uh, means learning to be content in him with who you are. And what I want to talk about this morning is how to have an overflowing contentment. God tells us how to get there And what I want to do is I want to encourage you, maybe uh, those of you online, I want to encourage you to write some of this down. I'm going to give you three, three things God wants us to do if we're going to experience an overflowing contentment. And I want you to write those down if you're in a place where you can. Maybe open up a notepad on your iPhone. If you're listening while you're driving, don't do that. Uh, But maybe write them down with a pen and paper. Uh, Here's some things that God wants you to do if you're going to experience an overflowing contentment. The first one is this. God wants me, just write this down, God wants me to stop comparing. God wants me to stop comparing my life to other people's lives. He wants me to stop comparing my experiences, my wealth, my successes, my looks, my talents, my friendships, my marriage, my family, my spouse, my situations, my stuff, my job. Whatever it is, he wants us to stop comparing our lives to other people's lives. God created you to live your life, not someone else's life. He created you to be you, not to copy someone else's life, and not to try to be and live someone else's life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says this, we don't dare to classify or compare ourselves with someone who commends themselves when they make when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves they're not wise and what he's talking about there is people who compare themselves to each other people who think that they're uh, really great you know and they all compare themselves to each other he says doing that is not wise it's foolish And God doesn't want us to always be comparing ourselves to others. Last week, my wife and I started watching an old TV show we watched when we were younger, when we were early in our early marriage. Everybody loves Raymond. If you've never seen that show, it's an old show. It's a comedy about a a man who's married and lives close to his mom and dad. And his brother lives with his mom and dad. And and it's just this family dynamic. I forgot how funny that show was. I used to love that show. Well, we watched an episode the other day where Raymond's brother, Robert, came over and asked Raymond and his wife if they would take an IQ. Q test. Uh, Take it separately. He needed to test them. It was something that had to do with his work. He's a policeman. And he, he took each one of them, gave them an IQ test, 
And of course, Raymond and his wife wanted to know how they scored. He said, oh, I don't want to tell you. Oh, they tell us how we scored. They said, well, he told Raymond that he scored average. And then he told Raymond's wife that she scored 50 points higher than Raymond. And the rest of the episode was all the arguments and back and forth and the silly things that happened as Raymond compared his IQ to his wife's, whose was a lot higher than his. About midway through the show, Robert, the brother, tells Raymond and his wife that he got the scores mixed up and that Raymond actually was smarter than his wife. And again, there was more back and forth and bantering and funny stuff that happened, arguing because of... Uh, because of this gap in who was smarter, they were comparing themselves to each other. And eventually, Robert, the brother, comes and says the real test was to see how they would interact with each other when he fed them that information. And really, he just made the scores up. And neither one of them, uh, neither one of them was really necessarily smarter than the other. And he revealed that it was all about watching them compare themselves to each other. At the end of the episode, uh, <laughs> Raymond's mom walks in looking disheveled she's upset and uh, they asked her what's wrong and she said we took the test and Robert had told her that she scored lower and when they asked who scored higher Ra uh, Raymond's dad walks in with a shirt throws his arm around his wife Marie and uh, and the shirt says I'm with stupid pointing to Marie wow uh, <laughs> it was kind of a, a a fun episode to watch, but what a what a true experience knowing someone is smarter than you, knowing someone is not as smart as you. How do we act? How do we act when we compare? Uh, how do we act when we compare ourselves to others? What would you do if you found out your husband or your wife was, you know, 50 to 100 points higher on an IQ test than you? How would, how do you compare yourselves? What would you do? Would you wear the shirt that says I'm with stupid? Would you show compassion? Uh, would you, <laughs> would you pity them? Well, God doesn't want us to compare. Some people turn comparing into, well, a way of life. Uh, we compare all the time, don't we? We compare how we look to how others look. We compare what we're wearing to what others are wearing. We compare our education. We compare our degrees. We compare our careers, our jobs, our success. We compare what we have the power to buy, what we don't have the power to buy. We compare uh, our kids and we compare our spouses. We compare our houses. We even compare lawns. I mean, we get into comparing. We compare our gardens, our property, our vehicles. We're always comparing and God doesn't want us to compare comparing here's what it does if you spend your whole life comparing if you're always comparing if you're a person who looks at what someone says must be nice you know or if you look at what someone doesn't have oh they're beneath me if that's always the way you're thinking that's just going to lead to lots of tension lots of worry lots of stress it can turn into an overwhelming experience in life when we're always comparing and God says don't do it. It's foolish. It's not wise. And let me give you a couple reasons why comparing is not wise. First off, you're always going to find someone with more than you. You're always going to find someone with more success, with more accolades. You're going to find someone with more talent. Uh, you're going to find someone uh, who, who always has more. There's always going to be someone with more, more of this, more of that. And you're always going to be comparing yourself as not, not living up to, not achieving, not succeeding like someone else. And comparing just fills you up.
with discouragement. Maybe they have more money. Maybe they have more talent. Maybe they're better looking. And you get discouraged. Sometimes that discouragement can lead to being resentful and and living a resentful life. One time, Jesus' apostles were comparing themselves to each other in an argument about who was the best apostle. And Jesus says to them uh, in Luke chapter 9, verse 46 to 48, Jesus tells them to stop it. it. It says this, it says, Then the disciples began arguing about which one of them was the greatest. The disciples didn't always act like disciples. But Jesus knew their thoughts, so he brought a little child to his side. Then he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my Father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. And he told them, Stop comparing. If you want to try to be great, simply be less. Make yourself less. Make yourself a servant. Make yourself a slave to someone else. Make yourself like a child who has no status. Stop worrying and start comparing and simply welcome me, he says. Welcome me. That's it. That's all you need is me. All you need is to humble yourself before me. All you need is to serve me. All you need is to be mine. And that will make you great enough. Another reason we shouldn't be comparing is because we can always find someone with less than us. We can always find someone who has less success. We can always find someone with less knowledge. We can always find someone with less talent. And what happens when we are comparing like that? Well, it fills us with pride Pride's no good. You learn that you have an IQ that's higher than someone else, and you walk around with a shirt that says, I'm with stupid. And maybe you don't wear the shirt, but your pompous look says it. Your arrogant, haughty demeanor says it. I know there are some people that feel like they have to walk into a room and let everyone know how smart they are and how smart the people around them aren't. It says in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. When the apostle Paul described people with depraved minds, people who were fallen, people who have no relationship with God, he described them in Romans chapter 1 saying that they are insolent and they are arrogant and they are boastful. In Psalm chapter 75, verse 4, it says, I warned the proud, stop your boasting. Why? Well, because God humbles the proud. The day will come where the proud will fall. In Isaiah 26, verse 5, it says that God humbles the proud and he brings down the arrogant city. He brings it down to the dust. And here's the thing, pride, besides being one of the oldest sins in the book, it's the very sin that that Satan tempted Adam and Eve with. You'll be like God if you eat from the tree. It, it, it gets in, our, in the way of our relationship with God. It, it hurts our relationship with God. It, it gets in the way of the overflowing life. It hurts our relationship with God. It hurts our relationship with others. And, and it, it, it discouragement and envy and jealousy and coveting and resentment, they all, and pride, all come from comparing. It gets in the way of true contentment. So God wants us to stop comparing. He, he wants us to stop comparing and to start being content. And we live in a world today where it is so easy to compare. It's probably easier today than it ever was in human history. Why? Well, because with the click of a button, with the click of a button on a mouse, with the click of a button on our phones, we can compare ourselves to millions of people all over the world. 
With social media today and the world connection through the internet today, it's so easy to compare. Comparing is in our face every day. Oh, let's look and let's see what they did. Let's look and let's see how they look. Let's look and let's see what they're wearing. Let's look and what <laughs> see what they're doing. And we compare. We compare everything. We we compare what we look like. We compare what we eat. We compare what we're drinking. We compare who we're with. We're always comparing. Someone might make a post of their special coffee. They make a post of their low-fat vanilla caramel latte. And you look and you say, well, I don't have one of those. And you decide you need to go get one. So you can make a post. And you go out. And and I know that some of you do this. You go out and you get a picture of your organic oat milk, vanilla, caramel, uh, chocolate, frappuccino. And maybe with some sprinkles on top. And and you post yours. And, and now you feel better because you, you, know, you have a more, uh, a more special drink, a, a more exclusive drink and you feel better because you posted it on your Instagram page and it's better than the one that someone else posted. Take that. And we do that. I know some of you, that's how you go about your day. You're comparing all the time on on social media. It becomes so easy to get sucked in to social media and posting about yourself and it gets so easy to start pretending you have this perfect life on social media and and everyone knows that everyone's doing it everyone who knows you knows you don't have a perfect life you know you don't have a perfect life but but you're still putting your best foot forward on your your social media and and we think well uh, you know I I haven't posted in a while it's been two hours I better let people know what's going on so they can pay attention to me it's been two hours and, and so I'm gonna do something I'm gonna post something so people know how smart I am so people know how spiritual maybe I am look at what I've highlighted look at what I've reading Look at how I'm praying. And we post about uh, what we're eating. We post about where we're going. We post about where we're with friends. And look how happy I am. And, and our pages become like these little reality TV shows. And, and we know that not everything about our page is real. We also know that not everything about other people's pages are real. But we still compare we still look at what they're posting and we compare our life to theirs and and we still compare and we find ourselves sometimes seeing people who have more than us and we compare and we get discouraged and, and we sometimes uh, post uh, that we're better or we're doing something better and we know there's other people who aren't like us and, and we get prideful and, and we compare and, our, and it turns into selfishness, it turns into pride and it turns into, hey, look at me. I, I not long ago heard one one preacher talk about how you know when a when a child is saying look at me it can be really cute when a when a little child is is out at the at the park and they're they're swinging on the monkey bars at the park saying mom look at me look at me it can be cute when a little child goes down the slide mom look at me look at me watch me it's cute. And uh, when a little child climbs up all the way to the top of, of the jungle gym and rings the bell at the top, Mom, look at me! It's cute. But it's not as cute when we're still doing it at 40, is it? And a lot of us, that's what we're doing on social media. And I'm not necessarily saying social media is bad. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we might ask ourselves, why? Why are we posting like we're posting? Is it because we're not content? Why are we looking at what we're looking at? Is it, and if, if it's making us not content, maybe we need to take a break. Maybe we need to back off. Maybe we need to ask ourselves some questions. Maybe 
We need to learn to have a life that's overflowing with contentment where we can say, I'm content with not knowing about the coffee people are drinking. I'm content with, with not knowing the good time someone else is having. I'm content with not knowing what's going on. And so I'm content with not looking. Or maybe we might say, I'm content with having a good time without posting it <laughs> and telling others how much of a good time I am. I'm content going somewhere and doing something without telling the world about it. I'm content. Maybe we need to learn to practice contentment in our social media life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're told not to make judgments, not to, not to compare ourselves and he says this, for what gives you the right to make such a judgment that you're better than others? What, what leads you to need to tell everyone how good you are? Well, what do you do that, what, what, or sorry, what do you have that God hasn't given you? What talent, ability, blessing, what good do you have in your life that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as if it weren't a gift? Why tell the world that you did it? Maybe we ought to realize that everything we have in life is a gift. It's from God. And be content with the gifts that he's given us. It's from God. A God who incredibly loves us. A God who gives us everything. A God who blesses us. And we want to live a happier life. We want to live a, a life that's healthier. We want to live a life that's, uh, that's healthier physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. We need to stop comparing and we need to learn to be content. Here's what it says in Proverbs 14, verse 30. It says this, It is healthy to be content, but envy can eat you up. And maybe, just maybe, we need to back away from our culture's addiction to comparing because comparing leads to envy and comparing leads to pride. We want to be healthy and we need to be content. So God says, stop comparing. Second thing God wants me to do to be overflowing with contentment is this. God wants me to learn contentment. He wants me to learn how to be content. We have to learn contentment. It's not something that's going to come naturally. In fact, for most of us, it's not natural for us to be content. For most of us, because we have a sinful nature in us and, and we're naturally discontent with all the wrong things and content with, <laughs> content with, or we're naturally content with the wrong things and discontent with all the, all, all the things we shouldn't be discontent with. And we, we spend so much time in life feeling stress, anxiety, being overwhelmed with life because, well, we're not content. And that, that stresses us out. Things like worry and jealousy and resentment and, and insecurity and feeling unworthy and feeling unloved. These are all things that, that we've learned in life. These are all things that, that, that we've been taught. And they're all things that, that, that can be unlearned. And just like we've all, we've all been discontent in life and we can learn to be content. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants to teach us how to be content. If we listen and learn as God leads us and teaches us, we can learn about contentment and how to practice contentment. We can learn that to stop comparing we find ourselves comparing. We, we learn to stop it. And sometimes learning to be content means that I'm going to learn to scale down in life and be grateful. I'm going to learn to scale down in life and be grateful. Here's what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 6. He says this, Better to have one handful with quietness. And what he's describing there is better to have one handful and be content 
then two handfuls with hard work and a chasing after the wind. I need to learn to be grateful for what I have and to have contentment and peace. And I need to learn to be unselfish and instead of foolishly chasing the wind so that I could have two handfuls. And man, does that describe the world we're in. The world we live in is is always chasing two handfuls and chasing the wind to get it. What that means is I might have to learn to live within my means and not beyond it. I, I need to learn to stop comparing what I have and what I'm doing with the people around me. I need to learn to stop trying to live with two handfuls when I don't have the ability to live with two handfuls. Instead, I'm going to learn to be overflowing with contentment with one handful and peace. And, and if the life you're living, if what you're doing is is tearing away at your peace so that you can have two handfuls, then maybe there's maybe there's a necessity to scale back. And and I know that we live in a world that doesn't scale back simply because you could look at how much debt people are in in our world. Uh, people around us, we, we want to live up to their standard of living, and yet they're up to their eyeballs in debt. American households today, it says, uh, it, it said, uh, have $17.1 trillion in debt. That's a whole lot of trying to have two handfuls and chase after the wind. The average person carries around about $6,000 in credit card debt. The average person carries around a, 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 or is making a $1,500 payment uh, for, their, for their mortgage in debt. The average person is paying five dollars to $700 a month per vehicle in their house. Uh, the average person is paying for a lifestyle that's above their means, keeping Keeping up with inflation, keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with uh, making sure you buy and purchase and take pictures of things to post on Instagram. Uh, there are a lot of us today who are trying to live with two handfuls and don't have peace. There are a lot of us who are driving vehicles we can't afford, living in homes we can't afford, living lifestyles we can't afford, and we wonder why we're overwhelmed. We wonder why our lives are filled with stress, anxiety, worry, and struggle, and it's because we don't know how to be content. We're not learning contentment. There's no peace of mind. How much stress do we have? Because we're chasing after two handfuls and chasing after the wind. What if I learned to say, you know what? My one handful is good enough. My one handful and peace is better than what I'm pursuing. I learned to be content with what I have. Maybe it, it scales down my ambition for money and success and a lifestyle and I just scale it back and take a lifestyle I can afford. Uh, learning to be content. Learning to be content means I scale down and be grateful. Sometimes it means I learn to be satisfied with what I have. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, it says this, If we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. So often stress in life comes when we're unsatisfied with what we have and we need to go after more. We need to go after more food and more clothing. We need to go after more things that we can't afford and then we go into debt to get those things. It creates more stress and more tension in our life. And now we're slaves to the lender and we don't know how we're going to make our payments and we strive and struggle to make those payments. We get stressed out. Uh, 
we, we say, well, I need a bigger house. And we get stressed out because we need a bigger, better new car. And we get a stressed out because we're not wearing the latest fashions. We get stressed out because we need to get this or that work done on our bodies. And uh, we get stressed out because we need, we need, we need, we need. And we aren't content because we're never satisfied with what we're having. And Paul says, listen, learn that if you have enough food and clothing to be content, maybe we need to be satisfied with what we have. Maybe uh, being content means I need to learn to trust God as my source for everything that I need. It doesn't mean I don't go out and work, because even Paul went out and worked to, to achieve what he needed. But here's what he says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. He says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. You need God to say it clearly? Here he does. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. And what Paul is saying is, is don't love money. Don't trust in money. Don't think money is going to be the answer to all your problems. Love and trust God. Be satisfied that he provides. Love and trust God and be satisfied that he will make sure you have what he what he thinks you need and trust him he's not going to fail you he's not going to abandon you and money can maybe learning contentment means i i, I learned to be content with my status over time uh, some soldiers came to uh, to John the Baptist to be baptized as he was preaching and teaching. And people who were being baptized were asking John questions about what should they do now that they're giving their life to God. And John taught these soldiers an important lesson. He said this, it says in John chapter 3, verse 14, he says, don't extort money or make false accusations. He says, be content with your pay. Whoa. Maybe I need to learn to be content with my status. Uh, could you say that you're content with your paycheck? Maybe God wants us to learn to be content with our paycheck, how, how to live with that paycheck before we move on to a better paycheck. There will always be chances and opportunities for a better paycheck, but if I can't learn to be content with the paycheck I have now, I'll never be content because there's always, uh, there's always more to, to be had. Maybe I need to learn to be content with what I have with my pay. He tells these soldiers, don't lie, don't cheat, don't, don't try to get ahead that way. Learn to be content with your job. You, you, you don't need a promotion. You don't need a, a job where you can climb the ladder of success. You don't need to go up in the company. You don't need to hit the next threshold. You don't need more. It's nice when it happens. But if you're always making being content on reaching the next dollar amount, you'll never be content. Learn to be, have overflowing contentment now. That's where God wants you to be. And maybe I need to slow down. Maybe I need to learn to slow down. In Proverbs, <coughs> excuse me, in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4, it says this, Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. And you know what he's saying there is that there's wisdom in knowing when to say enough is enough. I have enough. I've done enough. I'm high enough in the company. I, I, I'm far enough financially. I have enough to take care of my family, uh, to take care of their needs. I have enough to be generous with people. I have enough to spend with my time with my family and, and my friends. I have enough. I've done enough. I, I don't need to sacrifice my family. I don't need to sacrifice my relationships. I don't need to f sacrifice my spouse or my kids for riches. Enough is enough. When you're at the end of your life, you'll find that a lot of the things in life 
that you thought mattered don't matter as much. I've never heard of someone on their deathbed asking to see all their college degrees one more time. I've never heard of someone on their deathbed asking <laughs> asking to see their their office door with their title one more time. I've never heard someone who said, "Hey, I I just want to see my list of assets one more time." Uh, but you know what people do say? I want to see my kids one more time. I want to see my family one more time. I want to see my spouse. I want to see, you know, and, and instead of waiting till then to see them one more time because you've been working so hard to get assets and to, to go up the ladder at work and, and to achieve the, the next status level and sacrificing everything else, maybe learning contentment means saying, I have the wisdom to know when to quit. When to quit wearing myself out to get rich. When do I quit? It doesn't mean we, we quit life. It doesn't mean we quit our job. What it means is, well, we know when to show restraint, when to slow down, when to stop, and to say enough is enough. You want to be wealthy, you want to be truly wealthy we need to learn to be content with what we have the wealthiest people in the world still struggle with contentment the wealthiest people in the world which by the way most of us who are online most of us who come to in-person worship service would be in that category because often we forget that as Americans, we, we're very wealthy. We live at a level of wealth that's higher than most people in the world. And even times, we still struggle with contentment, don't we? Billionaires will say there's always more money to get. Billionaires still struggle with contentment because contentment is not about how much you have. Contentment and overflowing contentment is learning to say, God, thank you for what you've given me. And I'm good with who I am because you made me who I am. You gave me who I am and I am content. And I am wealthy and I am rich in you. Because that's where real riches are. And that's the last, the last thing that I think God wants us to do to experience an overflowing contentment is number three. God wants me to experience his riches. Instead of comparing, instead of being discontent with my life or prideful about my life, instead of always struggling with contentment, God wants me to learn to be content so I can experience His riches. And His riches are worth more than any wealth, any money, any property, any, anything this world could provide. You might have heard the term Monopoly money. Uh, when we play that old game, Monopoly, I don't know if you like Monopoly. I, I used to enjoy playing it. When I was a youth pastor, I used to play it with some of the kids in the youth group. and uh, I, I like playing those kind of games. And when you play Monopoly, you're passing around all this fake money that doesn't mean anything in the real world and you're earning fake power you're becoming a, a a fake investor and monopoly money is the kind of money we pass around in a game that has no effect on reality and here's the thing in god's economy all earthly money is monopoly money <laughs> all earthly wealth all earthly success it's all monopoly it's just, it, it, it doesn't last, it doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't, it doesn't go with us into eternity, eternity sorry. Uh, all wealth in God's economy, it's all monopoly money to him. And he wants us to experience real riches. 
And what I find interesting is as you go through the scriptures, you will find God talk about and give us little glimpses and hints about what real riches are. He wants us to be wealthy and have real riches, riches that come from trusting in him. I can be rich and trusting God. When I'm content, it allows me to say I'm rich and trusting God. I'm trusting in him. This is a trust that I have, whether I'm in have a little or have a lot. Uh, I just simply am rich and trust in God. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul, the apostle, is teaching a young pastor named Timothy about what to teach and preach to the people of the church that he's working at. And Paul says this, teach those who are rich. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say that my teaching here right now, I'm teaching those who are rich. I mean, you're here with us online. You're rich. Teach those who are rich not to be proud and to put their trust in their money which is so unreliable. Money can come, money can go. Put a different president in, money goes out the window. Put another president in, money comes. I, I mean, it, it's always changing. It's, it's moving. Uh, inflation happens. All kinds of things can happen to change money. They're not reliable. Instead, you should trust in God who gives us richly all that we need for our enjoyment. So I'm going to be rich in trust. I'm going, to, I'm going to be rich in trust in God who gives me all that I need so I can enjoy the life that he's given me and be content with the life that he's given me. And God wants me to be rich in his mercy and in his grace. When I'm busy being discontent and when I'm busy comparing myself to others, I can miss out on the riches of God's mercy and grace. It can leave me feeling overwhelmed. It can leave me feeling unloved. It can distract me from my need for forgiveness and grace. That's one of the reasons why it's so hard for a rich person to have faith because he doesn't have felt needs. It can leave me feeling like I don't need God's forgiveness or grace because I've got it good. We might even think, hey, I'm alive, I'm living, I'm doing things that are living the life when really we're spiritually dead. But learning to be content puts us in a place where we can be rich in God's forgiveness and grace. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 5, it says this, God is so rich in mercy that he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is by God's grace you have been saved. And when you, when you read that verse, you see he starts it out by saying God has made us rich in his mercy. That's where God wants us to be rich. He wants us to be rich in his goodness and generosity. Being content puts us in a place, believe it or not, where we can be more generous and good to people because we're not so wrapped up in me and mine and comparing. We can be giving and, and generous. In 1 Timothy 6.18, Paul tells Timothy to teach his church this. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich and good works, and generous to those in need, always ready to share with others. I could be rich in goodness and generosity. I could be rich in faith. In James chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom? He promised those who love him. Who inherits the kingdom? Those who are rich in faith. If we're going to produce any kind of riches, it should be being rich in God. I could be rich in a relationship with God. One time Jesus told a story to teach us the importance 
of a relationship with God. He told a story about a rich man who had a farm and crops, and he said to himself, what should I do? I'm having this bumper crop. He said, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll build up my barns. Uh, I'll, I'll tear down my old barns, build up bigger ones. I'll, I'll make room for all this stuff. And I'll say to myself, hey, you've stored away finances and, and resources for years and years to come. And now I'm just going to take it easy, have a good time, eat, drink, and be merry. And you might say, well, God did say there comes a time where you say enough's enough, right? Except this guy, <coughs> he just did it so he could live the life without God. And then Jesus said, but God said to him, you fool, you'll die this very night. And then who will get everything that you worked for? And Jesus finishes by explaining the reason for the story. In Luke chapter 12, verse 21, he says this, yes, a person is a fool who will store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. He wants me to have a rich relationship with God. That's where a life overflowing with gratitude comes from. And he wants me to be rich in Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 it says this, God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, not yours, not mine from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Why do, I, why do I learn to be content? Because I know that he gives me out of his riches in Jesus Christ. Are you in a balloon that says content on the side? Are you in a balloon trying to find your way to the overflowing contentment in life, well, it starts with Jesus Christ. We come to him and we say, God, you gave me this life. You gave me so much goodness. You filled my cup and, and you filled it to overflowing. And I'm not comparing my cup to other people's cups. I'm not comparing my life to other people's life. I'm just looking at God, how you blessed me. And I'm content. I'm happy. I'm satisfied with where we are today. Maybe today, your next step <coughs> is to say this week when you catch yourself comparing, you'll stop and you'll say, God, I'm content. Maybe when you find yourself wanting to post, you'll ask yourself, why am I doing this in pride? Am I doing this to compare? Or, or should I just be content not telling everyone? Maybe this week you'll let God speak to you about slowing down. Maybe this week you'll let God tell you it's time to scale back, it's time to stop trying to climb, and it's time to be content with where you're at. Maybe this week God wants to remind you just how rich you are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together and let's invite God <laughs> to bring us to this place of an overflowing contentment. Father in heaven, we come before you and we just thank you for all that you've done to fill our cup to overflowing. I pray, Father, that you will help us to learn to be content, to learn to be content with what you've done, what you've given, and where we're at. Pray, Father, that you will help us more and more to realize just how rich we are in Jesus Christ. It says in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to say thank you for joining me today as we've gone through this teaching. I hope that's been an encouragement and a blessing to you. And I want to finish up by declaring it's been a great day together. You ready? One, two, three. It's been a great day. I hope you have a great day and a great week. And I'll look forward to seeing you next Sunday.